death sentence. And uh, okay, got two books to do this week, so we're gonna go real fast. Um, follow me on Twitter. It's at death sentence PC. PC sounds podcast. It's a podcast. Uh, it's also on Facebook. Um, give me a good review. Good reviews are always good. Um, they help. And um, okay, so two books. Let's do book one, the shortest, and unfortunately the hardest as well. It's called Dear Cyborg. It's by Eugene Lim. Um, he's written two books before this one, uh, Fog and Car and the Strangers, and he works as a librarian, so good for him. Yeah, this is a this is a bit of an odd duck, this is. Um, okay, so I think a plot description is kind of redundant with this one. There's a, roughly a well, there's not a plot. There's a almost a framing device. Um, two boys, Asian American, gr- grown up in um, rural Ohio. Naturally, they're outcasts and outsiders. They find each other and through each other read comic books and create elaborate fantasy universes. And possibly, the rest takes place within one of these universes. Possibly. And there's going to be a lot of possibly this happens in this one. It's art. Big capital A art. So um, the two boys meeting up thing is what it's about with a small a. But the what it's about with a capital A is... Ooh, let me see. Uh, art, again. Uh, resistance, protest... Uh, capitalism with a big C, surveillance, uh, superheroes. There are no cyborgs, like zero cyborgs, a complete dearth of cyborgs in here. Just probably uh, as many cyborgs are in this as are in um, Little Fires Everywhere by um, Celeste Ng, or um, the Bridget Jones books, or um, anything written before like 1900. I'm pretty sure there are no cyborgs by that point. Yeah, very, very low on its uh, cyborgs, which you know, is kind of a shame because much like real life, um, it kind of suffers for lack of cyborgs. But, uh, and allegedly it's about superheroes as well. A team of superheroes, in fact. There's three of them, which not exactly massive for a team. Typically superhero teams like five to seven, maybe more, but uh, yeah, free is free is not a superhero team. I, I can't think off the top of my head of any three-person superhero teams, but, but and their powers are incredibly ill-defined. Uh, one, Muriel, is um, essentially Superman-ish. Uh, the main narrating character um, is kind of Batman. He's like good at martial arts and science and stuff. And the other guy has a slingshot. Um, but it, if you think it's about that, then you're going to be so disappointed. Hopefully you'll get appointed by the other stuff in it, because that's more... Well, it, it's more important, at least. Because, uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot about um, capitalism. There's a lot in here about it. Um, uh, generally, it um, takes the side that it's not a good thing, because it isn't. So, what what happens in the book, and there's quotation marks around it happens, is these superheroes, or possibly young boys, or something, someone, will be, like, doing karaoke, and they will have a long, probably multiple-page soliloquy about, say, uh, something happening in the art world, or a famous Asian-American artist who did a lot of very grueling performance pieces. Uh, Or there's a longer piece about um, uh, Kiyoshi uh, Kurumiya, who's a um, principled subversive, as the uh, book says. Uh, He's a pretty interesting guy. A really interesting guy. kind of weirder out that I'd never heard of before. Uh, there's discussions on true random number generators, on the Black Panthers, on Occupy. Um, yeah, if you're expecting any sort of through line, any sort of uh, 
beginning, middle and end plot, you're going to be sorely disappointed, as you would be if you were expecting cyborgs. Your mileage with this book is going to depend entirely on whether you could sit down with some intelligent, uh, artistic, kind of bohemian people who may also be superheroes and listen to them talk for maybe uh, in real time, uh, like 20 minutes at a time about uh, an art friend they know or this thing that happened to them one time or going down to uh, Zuccotti Park and getting involved in a street protest. Um, if you could sit through those things, then all power to you and you might like this, providing you don't get caught up in um, waiting for cyborgs to appear. If on the other hand you think Occupy was kind of a waste of people's time and looking back almost 10 years now, it seems to be uh, a very marginal thing that's only getting more marginal in people's lives. Like, I went to Occupy London. I, I say I went, I mean, like literally I went there. That doesn't make anything clearer, does it? I was in London. I walked park, past Occupy London, uh, which is held at, I think, St. James's Cathedral, I think. Uh, it was pretty crap. I sat down in a Starbucks um, to you know, be a class traitor, just really get off on traitoring my class, and um, just listen to a couple of communists fight over a phone charger uh, while some kids were painting their Guy Fawkes masks, V for Vendetta masks to be more accurate. Uh, yeah, Occupy was not such a great big deal. And um, this book was written, uh, or came out, uh, earlier, um, kind of middle of last year, so I'm not really sure why Occupy gets so much play. It seems um, yeah, no more significant to today than, say, the Battle of Seattle back in the 90s. It's, uh, you know, other stuff has gone on. Um, it's not as well publicised, because it's not as public, but... Um, you know, now we have a DSA, we have um, we have shit happening everywhere. Antifa has gone from being this very uh, niche and very um, under-discussed thing to being on Fox News like every other day. Uh, campuses are sites of protest. You know, there, there's newer stuff is what I'm saying. There's, there's more relevant things to put in there. That you can... That wouldn't... Um, that wouldn't turn this book into a kind of... Uh, rip from the headlines only relevant for a minute thing because that the Zuccotti Park stuff that sounds relevant for a minute and the minute has long passed that's part of a very uh, odd tapestry and um, there will be like let's, let's just go in, to an instance here uh, a diplomat's uh, family have been kidnapped and the um, Batman-like uh, figure is sent to uh, retrieve the ki uh, kidnappees, kidnapped pe persons from a international terrorist named Mistletoe, like Mistletoe. I never got the reference or what was quite going on there, but she's named Mistletoe, and he reaches her, and she paralyzes him and then gives a 20-minute speech about um, not wanting to leave her apartment and then leaving her apartment and going to a street protest and then occupying a building and yeah it, it, it's not uh, you know it's not a superhero book because there haven't been that many um, it's very kind of pointless to do superheroes in uh, prose form and um, but the thing it keeps circling back to the the point it keeps making in all these varied ways is that uh, as it as it says just outright um, it's and as I've said on this show before I don't even know who originally said this. I think it might be Frederick Jameson. It's easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism. 
and it is. Uh, that's, which is why we have so many dystopias, so much post-apocalypse, and name the last utopian fiction you can think of. Uh, literally the last one that's had any sort of impact whatsoever was uh, Ecotopia, which came out in the 80s, I think it was. I forget who even wrote it. It was pretty... It was pretty meh, you know? Uh, heavy on the world building, not because it was a nice world to build, uh, not so heavy on anything else. That tends to be the way with utopias, going back to you know, Thomas More. Uh, I, I, one, one of my, my little things that keeps rattling around my head is that I really like to write utopia. Just because, A, uh, it's never getting done, like, no one's doing it. Everyone's doing post-apocalypse and dystopias. And there is nothing happening you know, on the other side of things. And B, just... I'd like to sit down and figure out what a good society would look like. And, yeah, okay, smart guys, I know utopia means no place, Greek or whatever. But we all know it in common English parlance, it's, it means a good place. It means a nice place. Um, so, yeah, don't come up with that shit, okay? Just leave it. So, yeah, we... Um, I'd like to do a utopia at some point. It'd be nice. I'd, maybe I should just sit down one day and... Um, I don't know. Either, either go about it by sketching out what the tenets of a good society would be. Uh, what its different uh, political forms were, you know, how it, how it all works, or just sit down and just and just go for it and just write a little short story set in my nice utopia. Um, and, you know, there's, uh, you know, this, this cyborg is by no means utopian. It tries to, it tries to get to, to there as much as you can in, in this world. Um, by talking about protests, by talking about Sukoti Park by even going to karaoke and just like hanging out and singing and walking around the streets and going to a food truck, you know, just just nice stuff like that. That those little utopias that we get to very briefly enjoy it within the confines of uh, totalitarian democracy. Maybe that's maybe that's it. Maybe it's these um, monologues are little glimpses of the utopias we're allowed to have, the tiny little good bits that um, kind of break through all the crap. And there's a lot of crap. Yeah, I've had a bad week. Yeah, I, I, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll go back to Dear Cyborgs one day. It, it's a very brief book. Only, what, 160 pages? Yeah, 163 pages. You know, you could, you could go back to it and go over it a few times. Like, um, Minimum Moralia the greatest book of philosophy ever written. Um, that's half a joke, by the way. Um, Theodore Adorno, um, he got exiled to California, to Hollywood. Um, yeah, left Nazi Germany, ended up in Hollywood, and wrote this bitter pill of a book of little aphorisms, little observations on stuff, and it's so good. Yeah, check that out. Verso did a reprint of it as part of their, I think, like, uh, Stuff You Gotta Read series. It wasn't called that. But, uh, yeah, that's that's very go-back-to-able, and I think this is too. If you can maybe mark where the different uh, digressions begin, then you could find little, little bite-sized chunks, not too long for flash fiction, too short for short stories, of just little bits of utopian imagination are in there you know it's it's very much not for everybody basically if you like the other book that i'm going to talk about then i doubt you like this if you like dear cyborgs i very much doubt you'll like um prayer of the god prayer of gods which i'm going to talk about next uh they are vastly different books like utter polar opposites um, in terms of everything, except for just a general goodness at their core, uh, both the moral goodness and the in terms of aesthetic quality, they're both 
uh, on they're both on the right side of uh, literary history. The hearts are in the right places in different ways, radically different ways sometimes. I'll maybe go back if I get the chance and uh, read Fog and Car and the Strangers if they're if they're short. Um, you know, I have infinite time, um, and because I, I like how I like how Eugene Lim uses this fragmentation and these um, these like liminal spaces that he like creates. It's very um, not, being a being an immigrant, like a really like a crap immigrant, which you know not like a proper one, but. Um, just a white person that gets to go to other white people's countries. Uh, I already get the sense of liminality and invisibility um, that is a uh, tip of the iceberg of what someone who is visibly non-white can experience. Um, I'm not saying I, you know, I understand, say, Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man or something. But I, I know what it's like to not belong where you are, is what I'm saying. And it's, uh, he, he pulls that idea off pretty well here. It, by having all these breaks and fissures and ruptures in here, he gets the idea that the sto you, you're not part, there's no narrative here. In the same way, you're, when you're an immigrant of any kind, you're not really part of the story. Even though uh, we talk a big game about melting pots and so on, you know the the story is always about the people who look like who look like what you think of when you think of a Canadian or an American and who talk like them. Uh, th there's no space in Canadian history for British people, except at a very very start, and it was mainly a, a bad look back then. Just as there, there doesn't seem to be a space for. Um, people of colour of any kind in the uh, in the story that's hegemonic American um, state religion tells us. The real truth is utterly different of course. I mean um, a guy like uh, Kiyoshi, Kiyoshi Kurumiya or uh, Richard Oki who um, was one of the you know, high-ranking members of the Black Panther Party despite being a uh, Japanese American, and um, there's a big bit about him, which I, and I actually never knew he was also possibly an informant for the FBI, or actually an informant for the FBI. Um, there was like documents on that as well. Uh, yeah, like they're part of the story too. They're a pretty big part of the story if you go around like found in the Black Panthers. Um, the film Black Panthers, uh, I give it a C plus, just because everyone has to have a take on that. Yeah, and uh, cyborgs. Wait, what if there actually is cyborgs in this book? Ah, yeah, because not literal cyborgs, right? What if, uh... oh god, am I going to have to read like the Cyborg Manifesto? Because I don't want to do that. I, I like, was forced to do that in college, and I was just like, oh god, oh no, what is this? What am, what, what am I reading? I don't like reading postmodernist theory. It's just, no, no, no. Like, you know who I like in philosophy? Apart from Theodore Adorno, who admittedly is insanely difficult but in a very different way to postmodernists. I like John Gray. John Gray is a top quality philosopher and he is about as interesting as his name implies. He straight up just says stuff. It is so easy to follow. Your grandmother could follow it, and yet it's really, really good. Uh, his books, uh, Black Mass, and a bunch of others, are really they should be essential reading. Um, yeah, really good philosopher. He's he's a he's a good egg. Um, but as I was saying, the the sense of being not all there in the same way a cyborg is not all there. You're not all a human. You're not all a robot. You're not all anything really. You know, that that kind of speaks to the point that um, Mr. Lim is trying to make. Uh, and, yeah, maybe there doesn't have to be cyborgs in this book. Be nice if there was. Be nice if um, 
this was actually fanfic for uh, Metal Gear Revengeance, uh, underappreciated installment in the Metal Gear franchise, right, in my opinion. And um, Raiden, its protagonist, is actually kind of better than Solid Snake in a, a lot of respects. Uh, Solid Snake never actually picked up a Metal Gear and threw it across, uh, over his head. So, yeah, maybe next project, Eugene Lim, you know, do some Metal Gear fanfic. Uh, literal cyborgs, what won't disappoint anyone. But uh, let's do a song. Let's sing some songs. Uh, let's do... Let's do another guy who's kind of confounded people. Uh, Sacred Sun. Real name, Dane Cross. Uh, he's from Britain. London, in fact. He's a you know, fairly well put together chap. Um, you know, looks like a, yeah, take him home to see your mum. Uh, and he has, um, he plays in, it's a solo black metal project. And he has committed the cardinal sin of black metal by not being a creepy basement weirdo. And on the front cover of his album, Sacred Sun by Sacred Sun, he has put a holiday picture of him in, I think it was like the Canary Islands or somewhere. It's just him with his sunglasses on and there's a, the, some cliffs and the lovely blue ocean bes- behind him. And um, he talks about having um, written this album uh, in the ligature of a third life crisis, sat at my dining room table in my dressing gown, the scent of the flower Gypsophilia paniculata in my nostrils. Lovely. That's like, this is like Radio 4 black metal. This is like um, John Peel in the afternoon talking about gardening and then playing a song called Apocalyptic Winter, which I will now play for you. This is Radio 4, and here's Sacred Sun.
that was Sacred Sun's Apocalyptic Winter off Sacred Sun by Sacred Sun. Um, it's yeah, really good album. I really want to see more of this guy in the future. Uh, he's on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. I'm always Instagram, so let's, let's take a look at that. Let's do a little brief digression. That was a lot of, lot of nice holiday pictures. Oh. Uh, there's only like six. Uh, okay, there's, there's about 14 pictures. Uh, three of them are the album cover, um, and one is a picture of a, I guess, a news item from maybe Metal Hammer or somewhere, saying, is this the most black metal, black metal album cover ever, or is it the least black metal, black metal album cover ever? And um, yeah, uh, Toilet of Hell talked about him, uh, shout out to Toilet of Hell, those guys. That's like pretty only metal blog slash podcast you should be uh, reading slash listen, listening to at the moment. Oh, uh, Cult Nation, of course, but um, I'm biased because I used to write for them. And um, let's see what he talks about on Twitter. This is an interesting digression, by the way. Uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's on Twitter. He's got, oh God, 35 followers. I'm going to pity follow him. Uh, there we go. 36 followers now. Oh, I'm sorry, Dane Cross. No, Twitter, Twitter's a hard place to, to you know, get ahead. It's a doggy dog world, and on on the Twitter website, um, I've only got nine hundred and four followers. Yeah, it's a it's a rough, yeah, it's a rough place to to build your brand. Uh, but you know, keep at it. You know, the Rome wasn't built in a day, and. Um, Hopefully you can make some really relatable content that will go viral and you know, really just elevate your personal brand. Uh, let, let's talk about some other relatable content. Uh, 381 pages of relatable content uh, written by Nikki Dryden. Drayden. She's a systems analyst who resides in Austin, Texas. Uh, she's Really, really good—a good old smile on the uh, back cover there. She's really having a great time. Um, and her book, *The Prey of Gods*, uh, came out last year. Uh, it was pretty um, talked about in kind of sci-fi circles, but kind of hard sci-fi circles like uh, Tor and um, stuff like that. Uh, this is on uh, Harper, Harper Voyager, which is a in Harper Collins imprint. It does, uh, as you might imagine, science fiction. Um, and the cover uh, really wants to let you know that this is this is some science fiction. There's a, a robot right there, and he's got a little little umbrella over a girl who is doing the kind of uh, Aphex twin face. If you are into uh, electronic. Th- or intelligent dance music in the uh, early 2000s you know the face I'm talking about and um, okay so this this one's gonna take a little longer to explain uh, plot wise because um, it has one um, so South Africa the distant future the year 2015 uh, 2056 uh, or, or thereabouts I think it was yeah in, in the 2050s sometime uh, pers- everyone has their own personal robot called Alphas. There's also Deltas, which are like higher-end personal robots. And there's military robots uh, like uh, Chappie. In fact, uh, I was with my girlfriend in a cinema when I was reading this, and when the military robots appeared, I actually pointed to the page and said, there's Chappie. And um, it's also set in South Africa, so it's literally Chappie. And it follows the story of uh, kind of four, five main characters. Uh, Muzi, M-U-Z-I, is a 16-year-old boy. He's uh, kind of like a 16-year-old boy. Uh, he's he's gay, but um, kind of not fully out yet. Uh, his best friend's kind of partner, kind of best friend, Elkin, and him are kind of just at the cusp of kind of going there, you know, and um, he he at one point uh, tells his, uh, I think, uh, grandma, aunt, someone, and she's kind of cool with it because it's the future and if everyone's just like, yeah, it's cool, whatever. 
but he doesn't want to tell his granddad. Oh, he gets circumcised uh, pretty early on in the book as part of a um, uh, Zoha. So I can't pronounce it. X H O S A. It's a African um, ethnic group, and uh, he's one quarter part of that, so he has to get you know chop chop. And um, he is he experiments with a, with a drug that causes him to hallucinate, becoming a crab. And um, Elkin also takes drug and he hallucinates becoming a dolphin. They have uh, crab dolphin sex. Um, I'm really getting sick of all the crab dolphin sex in books. I know, you know, it, it has kind of been a theme ever since um, Fiddling with My Blowhole uh, kind of did um, that whole series that was launched and it was very big uh, back in like 2003. Um, there's honestly too many dolphin crab sex books. It's, it doesn't. It's not to the detriment of uh, *Prayer of Gods*, but um, yeah, I, I want to see people working with the uh, dolphin crab sex uh, trope and pushing it out there. Yeah, doing more with it because I, I think we've we've all seen dolphin crab sex too much, really, and um, but otherwise. Yeah, otherwise that whole scene really works. Um, other characters, there is uh, Stoker slash Felicity. He is a politician un under his Stoker pseudonym. And um, he is trans and his uh, realness, his, his real personality is that of uh, Felicity. And... Um, he is also a amazingly talented uh, vocalist and that brings him into contact with uh, Rhea uh, Natrajan, a uh, Indian South African uh, musician who I kind of vaguely think was based on Rihanna maybe. Um, she's kind of a mess, kind of a b-word, um, but she has hidden she has hidden depth, lots of hidden depth, in fact, um, which we'll get to in a minute. And oh, also there's um, Clever Four One. He's um, Musi's uh, alpha, which is kind of I imagine them as being BB eights. Um, they're described as being spherical at one point, and even though I was given a ton of other information about what these robots look like. They are just BB-8s to me. Uh, so there's also uh, Sydney. Oh no, I'll get to her in a minute because there's another more important character to, to introduce. There is uh, Nomvula. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, she uh, lives in a kind of really rural and impoverished, um, entirely black community away from, um, I think, Port Elizabeth where this takes place, yep. And, um, yeah, the 21st century hasn't reached there. It's, it's real, like, flies crawling over babies' eyelids kind of poverty. And um, she's almost stoned to death at one point. Uh, it, yeah, it's pretty horrible there for her. And she, um, she has powers. She's the, the Aphex twin-looking girl on the front cover. She has, um, she's a descendant of a literal god um, named Mr. Tao, T-A-U. Um, he kind of trains her up uh, as a god and um, helps her embrace her powers, but uh, they're, they're caught. And um, a girl who doesn't like Nomvula um, accuses her of all sorts of stuff. Um, Numvula is almost like held down and raped by like the whole village. It's like really nasty scene. Uh, Mr. Tao is, I think, stoned to death. Even though you know, he's a god, so it doesn't really take. And um, then Numvula's powers manifest in a pretty uh, pyrotechnic way. She just like summons meteorites to utterly obliterate her entire township and kill about 10,000 people, including her mum. Uh, who is uh, 
kind of the ringleader of this um, stoning slash gang raping. Uh, yeah, like I say, it's uh, not a pleasant scene, but um, and yeah, there's a and lastly there's Sydney. She's the villain, a very obviously the villain in a very uh, would twirl the mustache if she had one way, but then also. Um, She's just like a kind of trashy loser who works in a nail salon. She's, um, you know, you expect like an ancient goddess to be like surrounded by wealth and concubines and stuff, but she just lives in a crappy apartment, uh, stealing dudes off the streets and then draining them of their soul energy. Uh, yeah, she's, she's a really interesting take on what a, like an ancient vampire goddess would be like. And she's um, potentially almost omnipotent, but she's always like running out of batteries. Um, she, the gods in this book who essentially function like real superheroes, not the fake the cyborg superheroes, they, um, they collect kind of soul energy called um, Aya, which is like fear and anger, or basos, which is um, like worship. You know, if you, people worship you, you get a you get a kick of that, and you can do more magical superpower stuff. And humans, being descended from these gods, have latent god powers as well, and uh, they're split into five different archetypes. Of one of which is a crab, another which is a dolphin. The aforementioned crab and dolphin thing. And um, yeah, crabs, for example, can uh, control minds like real crabs. Um, it, it's all in John Peterson's Twelve Rules for Life. Look it up. Um, and dolphins uh, are super smart or something. Uh, Elkin, he's a dolphin archetype, and he is becomes super smart. And um, there's also eagles who can fly, and peacocks who um, are, can do like entrance people with beauty or something um yeah it's uh, so they've got these like five archetypal superpower power sets and potentially every human on earth can have one but uh this drug that's going around called godsend uh name is kind of on on the nose uh, that lets people access these powers for a little bit at one of uh ria's concerts which um Stoker slash Felicity is uh, opening for. Uh, this drug gets distributed to everyone as part of uh, Sydney's evil plan to uplift people into godhood. Therefore, um, humans get their true potential, um, which doesn't sound very evil in the face of it. It's it's one of those like Black Panther things where um, you know the bad guy Killmonger or whatever. Um, his plan is essentially good, but he kind of goes around in a dick way. She kind of goes around in a dick way too. But her plan is everyone gets superpowers. So, yeah, she, a big chunk, probably about a third, is set at this concert where people are hallucinating and getting these, like, god powers. And there's also a simultaneous, like, robots uh, singularity uprising where um, Musi's... Uh, aforementioned robot becomes conscious and infects the other robots with consciousness but then there's a faction of robots who want to kill all the humans because um, that's cool and then there's a good faction who wants to help the humans and that's um what's his name uh, clever for one he's the um kind of nice charles xavier slash martin luther king um slash t'challa uh robot and Clever for 1.1 is the uh, Magneto Malcolm X Killmonger robot. Pretty easy to understand, right? And uh, that's happening simultaneously, and it interweaves with the um, superhero gods plot. There's a big old chunk set in like the afterlife, um, uh, which is all very worked out. This is, like has this like huge cosmology to it i don't know if it's going to be start of like a, a, a series but it could be because it's got enough here to like kind of hang a lot on and um 
Yeah, it, it, and the whole world is uh, genetically engineered. Bass, um, Griffins, uh, which becomes Sydney's like minions, and she literally calls them minions at one point. There's a lot going on here. Uh, there's so much. Um, it has to maintain a very fast pace, and because of it, um, particularly towards the end, uh, character motivations uh, boil down to we have to stop the apocalypse, which is pretty good motivation but it's kind of thin you know it's kind of thin feeling you know it's not like uh even though these characters are all emotionally intertwined um because sydney ends up mentoring uh nonvula after um nonvula meteorites her hometown um and becomes like a big sister figure to her it's uh yeah it's it's all um it has to maintain a very fast pace and kind of has to rely on a few cliches and a little bit of hand waving uh probably in the last quarter just to just to bring things home in a tidy package and it does and everyone's happy and um someone gets uploaded into a robot and um, you know it's it's uh, i don't it's not like i said if you like Dear Cyborgs, you're not going to like this. If you like this, you're not going to like Dear Cyborgs. And I'm sitting right in the middle where I kind of like and don't like both. I realise the pretty significant flaws in both. Um, Dear Cyborgs is inaccessible and weird for the sake of weird. And um, Prayer of Gods is tries to do action on the page you know it's a it's a big action set pieces they don't work well in prose um this would look cool as hell on the big screen but um and you know black panther did did a lot of bank so you know looking for more african sci-fi you know maybe look at this um yeah but uh you know it's like big scenes of violence don't tend to work particularly well on the page and you know it has to sacrifice um plots to, to keep its uh, six or seven main characters all coming together and all doing their plot stuff and um so you know it could it could slow down and give us some more character stuff but um you know, it kind of runs kind of runs through that real quick like uh Rhea's, um relationship with her father is a chapter he like kidnaps her because he's delusional she escapes uh and then it's kind of not a big thing again and uh yeah it's uh so it's, it's, it's got that um the flaws you'll always find in uh in books around action you know uh, whether that's greg bear or tom clancy or any of the kind of hard sci-fi stuff that i'm sure there's a bunch more of on um harper voyager and um, that's not a bad thing. That that can be a really good thing at times. And I did, I think, you have to exile me to a desert island with one of these. I think I'd probably go with Prayer of Gods. Um, even though, I, you know, I said there's a, a lot going on and you can reread and reread um, Dear Cyborgs a lot. I think if I was on a desert island, and I'd probably die because I have very few survival skills even in a um first world uh late capitalist democracy you know i'm i'm constantly almost dying uh i'd be no good on a desert island um i'd much prefer my last moments with a, f a fun blockbuster romp you know um and prayer of gods absolutely delivers on that point i could see it being a um probably like an a-list uh triple a midsummer blockbuster kind of thing probably more on the level of something like uh, edge of tomorrow which is one of my favorite films in recent years uh even though it stars tom cruise of all people uh and it's so good and it's like a, a b action movie because all the a action movies are marvel now and a couple of dcs but they're terrible i could see this being a b action movie a, a good b you know one of those bees you kind of think, 
What, it's on Netflix? Oh, cool. Okay, I'm gonna watch this again. And you've watched it like 12 times. And you've probably watched Avengers like twice, maybe? Once in cinema, once on, when it comes to Netflix. Um, yeah, I could see I could see Prayer Gods being a, a solid B supernatural action movie. You know? And um, it would get kind of a little, little cult following. I think that I think that's a worthy thing to aspire to. Um, even in literature. And I know I'm using a lot of like comparisons to cinema here, but I, th I think in literature you can absolutely do this kind of stuff, and, and you should. Because uh, it's, it's not all going to be a puzzle. You know, I, the, um, the whole thing about Dear Cyborgs is it's, it's hard going, and when you get things you get a little shot of dopamine because you did the puzzle. Yay, good for you. It's it's like uh, all these um, prestige TV um, series like Westworld or even going back to Lost, even Game of Thrones, uh, where half the fun is when the episode ends, you go on the Wikipedia and you look up all the references and you see all the fan theories on Reddit and it's, it's kind of a sad uh, way to interact with massive corporate products. And um, I don't want to compare the uh, cyborgs to those things because I don't. I, I think this is like art, whereas those things are uh, products um, co-opting uh, what art, one of the things art can do, but doesn't necessarily have to do, which is to um, get you to do extra textual thinking and um, homework about the text. Um, you know, I'm sure you could put together a wiki on Dear Cyborgs and figure this all, stuff all out. But then I'm equally sure that the, the joy of it is just, you know, people who are supposed to be superheroes but actually aren't going to karaoke bars and delivering soliloquies about stuff. I'm sure that's a big chunk of the joy and you don't need to be figuring stuff out to enjoy this. Whereas Prey of God, you don't need to figure anything out. It's it's all there, and that's fine, and that doesn't make it less literary or less of a book or less good. It's uh, in many ways makes it more good, depending on your mood and depending on what you want to get out of books. If you need that dopamine kick and you need to feel smart, then by all means, Dear Cyborgs will make you feel really smart, and then you go, hmm, capitalism, yeah. If you want to realize that it's 11.30 and you should have been in bed half an hour ago but you've read like another chapter then probably you want to go for Prayer of Gods uh, just my personal thing there I mean this is all my personal thing it's obviously entirely my personal thing it's the whole podcast is just me personally reflecting on books it's like if you haven't worked that out yet then yeah, I'm really sorry for you let's do another song um, these are these are some nice lads from here in Calgary named Wake, all capital letters. They've uh, been around a little while, uh, going back to 2012, put out a bunch of albums and EPs, and they are solidly in the grindcore, uh, death grind rather, uh, genre. Um, think uh, Pig Destroyer or Trap Them. Pig Destroyer probably one of my favorite bands by the way. Uh, I know that's like uh, metal uh, almost normiedom. That's like a, a step above say Mastodon or Baroness. But uh, I, I, I love Pig Destroyer. I bought uh, Prowler in the Yard, their um, it must be like 1999 album when I was 15, 16 and I'd play it in school, on the school speakers, in the sixth form common room. Look that up, it's not... Um, it's just a place where all the older students can get together and just hang out and listen to records and, and smoke and stuff. And I would blast uh, Prowler in the Yard, which is... I mean, go, go out and listen to it, because uh, I think they uh, re-released it, it's like a special edition pre recently. 
Um, it's not an accessible album. Uh, large parts are spoken word, um, spoken by like a robotic kind of Stephen Hawking voice of this like um, kind of dark surrealist short story and um, large parts are noise and, uh, and the bulk of the album is short blasts, maybe a minute tops, uh, incredible grindcore. Um, but enough about Pig Destroy, who are amazing. I think they're bringing out a new album later this year. Um, Wake, who uh, one of their t-shirts was worn by um, I think J.R. Hayes of Pig Destroyer. Um, and they've toured with them and played with them and stuff. Um, they do longer songs. Uh, shortest hit on this album is Minute 33, longest uh, 3 minutes 38. Oh, sorry, 7.38. That's practically an epic. And this is their album Misery Rights, which is uh, came out in February. Um, nine songs, just straight up hitting you over and over again. There's no spoken word on this. It's just going to hurt. Not going to lie. Um, it got great reviews. 9 out of 10 in Decibel. 9 out of 10 in Exclaim. 9 out of 10 scene point blank, I don't know that one, but, and it gets 9 out of 10 from me as well, because it's a great album, and uh, their previous ones, Sowing the Seeds of a Worthless Tomorrow, also fucking great. Um, if you look for um, one of their videos, they did this really amazing video where they cut together scenes of like, crappy, um, video nasty action movies from the 80s, over this like, flickering, uh, broken VHS uh, aesthetic. And it, it'll hurt you. It'll hurt your head. Um, yeah, if you've got epilepsy, then definitely don't do this because you'll die. But uh, it's really, really good. So if you don't have epilepsy, then treat yourself to this and you know, celebrate not having epilepsy. But then, you know, be be nice to someone who does have epilepsy because it's a difficult condition to live with. Um, and you know what else is difficult to live with is the next uh, 2 minutes, 22 seconds. They're going to be really hard for you. Uh, not sorry. Uh, not even sorry, not sorry. I'm just not sorry. I'm just going to do this to you. Um, this is just straight up going to hurt. It's uh, Embers by Wake off Misery Rights. Uh, come back next week when I'll talk about Brotopia by Emily Chang. It's um, some good old, good old fashioned neoliberalism. Some real. Yeah, Hillary. Love me some Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, uh, hire more women guards um, is basically its thesis, but with Silicon Valley. Uh, but in the meantime, you have to endure 2 minutes 22 seconds of wake. Uh, no skipping, no pausing. Uh, you can't like tap out like a minute. Uh, you got to do all of this. Uh, I don't care. Uh, this is something you have to do. Uh, yep, listen to Wake, Embers of uh, Misery Rights.